righty, it's time for the final segment of the program. We're going to dip back into the wizard's hat here. We're going to take a look at the X bits from wizard number three. Just like last time, I'm joined by my pal Adam, and uh, we're going to break down everything X in this issue of Wizard. How, how you doing uh, this month, Adam? Doing good. You know, I, uh, I decided after the last episode to go on a sojourn, a, a mm. journey through the desert, and the first episode actually <laughs> lasted me the entire trip, so... <laughs> worked out well it's true it's true it's a uh it's a very long program it's a and, and this one we're not done recording yet but i think it might actually be longer oh, so, wow <laughs> so folks in the future who are listening i thank you so so much for still being here because uh this is an endurance test but it's uh it, it will get you through uh you know uh going through the desert on horses with no names and it's right. all good it's all good but uh, yeah, we got the third issue of Wizard, and right from the start here, we got something X-related right on the cover. Now, this is a Wolverine cover uh, drawn by Eric Larson. Uh, what do you think about this uh, this uh, cover here? Well, I mean, it. I'll be honest, uh, I'm very happy that it's Wolverine in the brown and tan, because that is definitely my favorite look. Sure. Uh but I got to say, I mean, he looks like he's still going through the Inferno saga here. You know, he's or that what if he became king of the vampires? You know, that's <laughs> that's what I'm seeing here uh, with, the, with the look uh, in his mouth and the yeah. the bad ears. Essentially, he's got here that are just flight of like to flighter mouse from the tick. <laughs> it's it's not the greatest Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> we can tell it is Wolverine. That, yeah. that, that much we can we can definitely uh say but uh yeah it's uh i i was you know usually when it's an eric larson drawing usually i don't have to search for the signature but on this one i actually had to search for the signature just to be like is that eric larson because it just i mean i know eric larson is not for everybody but he's usually a lot better than this yeah, well, and it made me wonder a little bit, too, just because, you know, they mentioned there's a you know brief interview with their cover artist, you know, in this <laughs> issue. And they ask him, you know, like, what do you got going on? He's like, well, I got this Wolverine story I'm doing. And so I was like, oh, so he did draw Wolverine more than just this issue, like this cover. <laughs> and apparently he did like a whole run like in Marvel Comics Presents. It was like mm-hmm. team up with Wolverine and Spider-Man. And so th- there was a lot of work. So he had a lot of experience. But, yeah, this one doesn't seem as... Uh, as distinct to his style. Um, And I know my friend Jeff had a pretty uh, scathing review because he's like, Larson uh, basically, you know, commits the, the ultimate crime, which is making Wolverine's claws, you know, longer than his forearm. Like, where is his story (laughs) in his claws? You know, (laughs) it's one of those things that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would never say that I'm an artist, uh, but, uh, I, I would have never noticed that. I would have never picked that out as uh, I would have never been able to uh, tell that his claws were longer than his forearms. So that's yeah. And, well, and I, I, I'll, I'll do a little plug for Jeff up top. He's at nlogan77 on Twitter. If you are a Wolverine fan, <laughs> that is what he focuses on. He's got a 20 plus part series Wolverine, a reader's perspective where he literally goes mm-hmm. from 
first appearance in Hulk 180 and 181, mm-hmm. all through all the Xbox through everything, just saying this is where we learned about this. This is where he revealed oh, this. Wow. this. And I mean, and it's it is so extensive. And his Twitter feed, he just will post those tidbits a couple a day, and you will learn okay. things about Wolverine you never knew because he is the best kind of obsessive. You know, <laughs> so. very cool, very cool. Yeah, because like I said, I would have never ever called that out. No. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we open up here in the very first page of this thing is uh, it's it's more tangential X stuff. It's a Wolverine and Hellfire Club ad for a comic book store called Atomic Comics. Now, we both have spent some time in the Phoenix area where Atomic was uh, up until the week before the new 52 started in, in 2011. Um, do you have any memories of Atomic Comics? So, uh I actually ended up going there a lot on my lunch break mm-hmm. at a Paradise Valley, Arizona location. By I was working mall, in yeah. Scottsdale. Yeah. And so I would just kind of run over there. And I remember picking up, you know, copies of like the Rocketeer Adventures anthology mm-hmm. series, which was great. And I would just kind of run in when I could and try to find what, the, you know, what was available, even to the point of I remember I was super, you know, what really got me heavy back into collecting at least the mainstream books was Civil War. So I remember mm-hmm. when Civil War was going on, I was in on in a regular basis trying to pick up some some issues of that and fill fill some pieces of the story. So yeah, I, I didn't like spend a whole lot of time there to where I got to know the staff or anything, mm-hmm. but it was definitely that shock when I walked in or up to the door that day. Yeah. <laughs> There's a piece of paper on the door saying, "Yeah, we're effectively closing all." Over locations uh-huh yeah, and I, just like, yeah from what i heard i was a uh, some of the uh, some of the folks who worked at atomic now work at different shops out here um mm. or down here uh compared to you we're down here uh, <laughs> and uh apparently none of them were told uh wow. until until like the the minute it was like okay lock up we're done forever and uh i mean the writing was on the wall i uh i filled in a lot of back issue holes in the last like four or five, six months that they were open because everything was slashed. It's like the entire back issue bin, 80% off. It's like, okay, is that sustainable? I don't care. I'm going to buy it anyway. You know, it's like, I didn't even like consider the fact that, uh, cause I mean, comic shops have changed over the years where they are kind of less dependent on back issues and more mm-hmm. dependent on the merchandise now. So it would stand to reason that it would be a pretty good idea to maybe clear out the stuff that doesn't sell so much. So they can maybe bring in like a, a slew of Funko Pops that might sell. And uh, so I didn't really think twice about it. But in retrospect, it's like, yeah, that's that's clear that <laughs> they were uh, they were just trying to make whatever they could to, uh, you know, maybe give themselves a, a copper parachute when they shut down. But uh yeah, and I got to say, I mean, these ads run through this first, you know, slew of issues of oh, yeah. Wizard, and they are impressive because, yeah, it is full artwork, you oh, know, yeah. like, I mean, it's scenes going on, you know, whether they're doing something with Sandman or, they're, you know, this one with Wolverine or Robin or whoever they choose to feature. Mm-hmm. And it's really exciting to see, like, wow, I mean, they were going all out. It wasn't just totally. like... So, so often in back of the day, it was literally just all text. Yeah. You know, they, they weren't doing anything to get your attention, these comic book retailers. So. Or like a grainy picture of their storefront. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, these were always very impressive to the point where I actually, you know, I, I grew up in New York and I was reading these old wizards in New York and I'd see these atomic ads and they stuck with me. And uh, when I found out we were coming here, it was like, wow, that's where atomic is. You know, I didn't, didn't even have to think about it. I knew that's Arizona. Um, 
first time I ever visited there, uh, I was buying uh, a couple of X-Books. This was probably 1997-ish. Um, and uh, I remember the guy behind the counter kind of mocked me for it. And, uh, and I, it, it was the first time I ever had my, uh, my purchases judged. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it really kind of like, you know, it kicked me in the gut. I'm like, wow, I mean, I'm trying to buy something here. And you're like, cause you know, th- there is, you know, people do frown upon superhero books and the X books in particular, uh, especially when, you know, vertigo was still a thing that was a bigger thing than, than you know, than it would be after the turn of the century. I Maybe think, people uh, were grumpier out here with the heat. Who knows? That could be. <laughs> could very well be it but i remember and that that was one of the first that was the first experience with them that stuck with me and i was like okay maybe atomic isn't for me and uh it, it's funny because i people on uh people on social media like from all over the country they'll sometimes like send me a picture of a back issue they bought because it comes with a backing board from atomic and the atomic backing boards were very very distinct in in that they had a warning they said buy atomic or die <laughs> so i mean they jump right because they just stamp it on the backing board on mm-hmm. the uh, on the back issue yeah it's a great uh, looking stamp yeah oh, for sure for sure and I've, i had people like in florida it's like hey i know you're in arizona are you familiar with this like oh yeah yeah how about that you know an atomic buy atomic or die out in out in florida or, or in iowa you know it's it's funny stuff but uh but another another thing I, I another visit that I had to Atomic I was trying to fill in my uh, Green Lantern Volume Three the uh, the Gerard Jones portion which uh, I, I don't think we're allowed to mention his name anymore and we probably shouldn't <laughs> but uh, I was trying to fill that in back this is probably back uh, 2000 2001 ish and uh, there was probably like a dozen issues from the first fifty that I needed and I found them all and they were all marked at two dollars each I'm like ah it's like a steal back then. I plop him on the counter and uh, the guy the guy goes to his computer and I'm and, and he's like and he's like he's typing in like five dollars, seven dollars. And I'm just like I'm like, they all say two dollars. He goes, oh, no, man, we reserve the right to reprice anything before we sell. it. Oh, no. I'm like, you're kidding me. He's like, no, no, we, we reserve the right to do that. He said there should be a sign somewhere in the store. I'm like, I'm like, I didn't see the sign in the store. I said, either way, I'm not interested. Yeah, like, that's not how you'd keep a customer for yeah, sure. It was just nuts. I'm like, I'm like, dude, I, I, I'm, that ain't me. I'm not doing that. And uh, and I walked out and I, I left for years. I didn't go back for years. Uh, thankfully, I mean, we have kind of the embarrassment of riches in as far as comic shops down here. But uh, mm-hmm. so I didn't need to go to Atomic. Uh, but one of the times that I was there digging through their 80% off stuff, I found. Uh, uh, Justice League number three, I think it is, the one with the Captain Marvel uh, bullet. And uh, it was in there. I think it was marked like $20, but 80% off. It was like, you know, two or three bucks. And I brought that up and they're like, no, no, that one doesn't count. Ah. I'm like, come on, <laughs> dude. He's like, no, that was supposed to be on the wall. I'm like, but it wasn't. Come on. <laughs> Take away all the fun of going through the back issue bits. Yes. That's the point. Yeah, it's the treasure hunt. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, that's Atomic. And uh, I miss them. I miss them because uh, there were a lot of good folks that worked there and I still see some of them around town. But uh, but it was it was a it was an institution down here. Um, yeah. I mean, at, at one point there were like four or five locations. And uh, when they closed down, I think they were down to I want to say three locations. I think they had the one by Metro Center in Phoenix. They had Paradise Valley and then they had Mesa. And uh, all in one day, boom, gone. 
and uh just a real big hit to the uh to the comics uh scene down here and uh it never recovered and and more and more sh- shops are closing as we you know as we speak unfortunately but that was a uh, you know golden age of uh comics retail and uh and and it always tickles me when i see these in in the old wizards uh, they were definitely a uh like a standby they were always in there so pretty cool stuff um now, last time we talked, we gave you, uh, we went through a uh, Chris Claremont interview, and <laughs> the, it ended with a little uh, epilogue to uh, let us know where Chris Claremont was at the time of publication rather than the time of the interview. And in the interim, he quit. He quit the X Men after talking about how excited he was to, uh, you know, to see the X Men through this new stage of life. He leaves. Um, and, uh, you know, stop us if uh, you heard this before. But uh, we're going to talk about a John Byrne interview where he's going to do just about the very same thing. And uh, he won't leave during the interview, thankfully. He will stick around for like a month or two. But uh, one funny thing here is this John Byrne interview, which I think it should be, you know, that we have the Larson interview, which is big. We have the uh, Simon Bisley, I believe, has an interview in here. Uh, the Byrne one's all the way at the very back of the magazine. Yeah. I don't know if they were going in alphabetical order because it's, you know, <laughs> X back to the X house, big old X, so I put it in the back. But it's like, it's so weird because I'm so accustomed, and this is just Wizard, you know, in like the mid to late 90s forward. Like everything after the price guide was kind of just like, you know, convention dates, ads, maybe like a silly one page little thing. But uh, this this one actually has like the price guide sort of in the middle where there's like a lot of stuff on the back end of it. And uh, definitely uh, kind of caught me off guard because I'm not, you know, I guess I'm just more used to flipping through the ones that are a little bit later on down the line. But uh, yeah, so this burn interview, it is back to the X house uh, written by Patrick Daniel O'Neill, the same guy who did the Claremont interview. And uh, this one opens with a recap on Claremont leaving the X books and uh, the big revelation that John Byrne will now be scripting both of the flagship X-Men books under Jim Lee plots. And as mentioned, this will last two, two entire months. Um, when Byrne came back, he initially took this as like just another assignment, but then he realized just how much his return meant to the X fandom. And he started to think that maybe this was a pretty big deal because if there's anyone who needs their ego boosted in the comics industry, it's John Byrne. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I specifically love his quote here. Yeah, because he's just like, this is a big deal. This is a big deal for the fan community. This is a big deal for the comics industry. And eventually, this is a big deal for me. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> when every other box is ticked, I might feel moved a little bit. Yes. <laughs> now, the funny thing is, like, he comes in here. I mean, if you're handed the keys to the... to the, you know, well, He's not really handed the keys. He's kind of... Hand, he's kind of like... Like you know when you're when you're in like uh, one of those test driving uh, cars when you're trying to get your your license and the both sides have a brake pedal, yes. you know where like your instructor can stomp on the brakes whenever they want. He's kind of driving that car because Jim Lee can stomp the brakes whenever the hell he wants. Yeah, that's how I was wondering. I was like, how much of a ego boost is the scripter? You get to throw <laughs> in some words, like you don't even and get he, to plan it. Yeah, and he comes third in the credits. He comes because it, it, I, I we we covered you know X Men 282 here and it's it's a uh, Will Spritasio, whoever was inking Will Spritasio maybe Scott Williams, then John Byrne. Seems weird, but uh, 
he comes into this thing and he thinks to himself how fast it will be and how long it will be before I can get them, the X-Men, back to where they were when I left them. It may take a while. So uh, he he's coming in to take them back to where he left them, which I don't know if he got the memo about Claremont leaving, but that wasn't going to, I mean, he, he wasn't going to have much say in the direction. He almost had to know that, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think there was something in his mind where he was probably like, yeah, well, we'll settle into a groove. I'm sure they got a few plots and scripts figured out. And then then it's the collaboration. Then it's John yes. Byrne is here. So yes. you want to see what John Byrne's going to do. He's going to man of steel this. He's going to overhaul. It's like, no, John, they literally just overhauled everything. Like, <laughs> there's no there's no room for that. You can't do it again. You can't yeah. do the amazing Spider-Man. You know, you no. just, it's too oh, soon. Ugh. No, 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 yeah, this, <laughs> yeah, this, this isn't the next the, the final chapter in the and the burn Mackie reboot here. Ugh. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because it's like you said here, this is brand new. They just kicked Lu, poor Louise Simonson and Chris Claremont out. I mean, they they were running the show for the X line for years and they both just left. It's it's just so crazy. And, and burn, he still thinks, you know, but I'm John Byrne, yeah. <laughs> but he's not anything big at this point because you, you stack john byrne next to jim lee jim lee's gonna sell the books and that's all that mattered at this point um now byrne goes through a list of all of the uh all of the characters here and uh you know they they give they basically give him like a word association sort of a situation cyclops he says is his favorite uh, x-man uh, i think he calls him mr x-man or something like that yeah <laughs> uh, I don't know. That says a lot. You're just like, wow, really? Like, uh, of all the characters, I mean, hey, you know, hey, yes, hey, be careful, be careful. The leader, I understand, <laughs> but wh- where's where's the attitude? You know what I'm saying? In this day and age, you know. But I guess he he comes from a simpler time. Yes, he does. Um, now he expresses a bit of regret for everything that he and Claremont, and he he dogs Claremont every chance he can get in this interview. This is like a high school slam book or something. It's like, oh, by the way, that was, that bad idea was Chris's. Wasn't mine. I fought that idea. It's really, really very uh, petulant. But uh, he does express regret for everything that he and Chris put Jean Grey through during his last tenure on the title. Of course, you know, the Dark Phoenix stuff, all that stuff, killing her off. Um, he also thinks that she might be due a new code name because Marvel Girl feels too, you know, girlish and unfortunately marvel woman sounds too goofy to him uh this is the same guy who changed sue storm from invisible girl to invisible woman back in the long ago so i know but at the same time i was like yeah jean gray did have a code name she was phoenix she was phoenix so like what, what's yep. the problem go back to phoenix you know and, like yeah. yeah exactly and it was funny because like like after you know after the wedding of of Cyclops and Jean Grey, they they did the uh, that miniseries like the Adventures of Cy- Cyclops and Phoenix, and I remember because I came in after this, I didn't know they call I didn't know like she was actually codenamed Phoenix, and I'm like oh they changed Jean's name and then it's and then but then it's like but wait there's a Phoenix on Excalibur too, it's so so which is which and it's it's just so funny that uh that they that they took the name off of her, made her Marvel Girl again. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, and now it just seems so weird that they never settled on a code name for for like this early span of the '90s. She was just Jean Grey, 
And uh, it always looked weird on a, on a trading card. It, it always just looked strange to me because it just doesn't scream superhero, unfortunately. Now, uh, Burn is not happy that the Beast is blue and furry again. Though, he is happy that he no longer speaks like a Steve Englehart character. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I honestly, I, I feel like Byrne is just like, yes, when Stan Lee was writing X-Men, that was the X-Men. And everything yeah. else, even the stuff I did, no, 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 no. It's <laughs> weird, isn't it? I want status quo back to the originals, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the Steve Englehart run with Beast was uh was very silly. Um, I remember like like he uh he, you know he he drank the 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 mixture at the uh, Roxxon or Brand Company Labs or whatever, so the other guys the bad guys couldn't steal it. And then like the next day he figures out how to like make a a life size ma- like a, a face mask of his yeah, it's old Mission face. Impossible all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like oh I have face. this yeah. yes I have this uh I have this face making kit. <laughs> it looks exactly like my own. Oh, it's nuts. Um, Iceman is kind of an afterthought. Byrne says he doesn't have much of a plan for him, which is kind of what happens with Iceman for most of his existence, unfortunately. Now, the first big change that Byrne has on his docket is he's going to revert Warren Worthington III back from Archangel to just plain Angel. <sighs> now... I remember I came into this with him as Archangel. I never knew he was just Angel. When I finally saw him as just Angel, I didn't get it. It's like, okay, he has wings. I, I didn't see any sort of... I mean, there are so many characters that can fly. And his whole thing is that he has like a like a handicap that allows him to fly. He has giant wings. I just didn't see the value in that. Even though, you know, the Archangel and, oh, my cursed wings and my... The, Silly blades, that kind of got old. But I, I, I don't really see this as a value-added move. What, what are your thoughts on Angel versus Archangel? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, yeah, obviously, I mean, it's a super popular character. Bob Harris was never gonna let that happen. I mean, <laughs> he's got an action figure, he's got the yep. trading cards. I mean, and so I, I guess to me, it just seemed like I was wondering, and this is a, a theory my friend had. I was discussing with him, and he was saying also, like, I think he meant to change him back in character and personality to Warren Worthington, but maybe not in look. Maybe. back to just plain angel i was like maybe because he's he's essentially explaining like i know who warren worthington the third is i don't mm-hmm. know who archangel is so it's like he understands the characterization of a mm-hmm. human being not this you know one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse type thing you sure know? sure yeah it's just so weird that like and, and it's funny because he even like justifies this he's like well i'll let bob harris have the furry beast if i could change yeah archangel back to angel <laughs> And he even says, even like, like cops to it. He's like, I don't like, like you just said, I don't know who Archangel is. Call it lazy if you want. And yeah, I kind of do want, um, I, 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 cause personally, if you've listened to anything I talk about, I will get on current year writers for not playing the hand they're dealt for trying to stick, you know, round pegs into square holes. I, if, you know, if you're given a character, if you're getting a, given a character with a certain status quo, work with it. You know, if you don't want to address certain parts of it, don't address it. But you don't have to contradict it. 
And I think Byrne, if anything, should be held to an even higher standard than just like a random current year writer who's on but, an assignment. But I feel like he's gotten away with it in the past. He's like, well, I'm going to tell you who yeah. the real hu- original Human Torch is. And the vision oh, yeah. is not based on the original Human Torch and all this stuff. So I think it's like, look, I explain these things for people. I get them back <laughs> to where they should be. That's my role in comics. That's, you know, that's, so. that's a very, very good point. Yes. Uh, yeah. Burn is the monster they created. <laughs> But but I redid Superman, yes, and uh, that was that was my favorite Superman. But still, (laughs) come on, Um, he gets to Storm and says that she is much colder and harder than the last time he was on the creative team, and uh, that's I think that's that's fair. That's very fair. Um, Storm was uh, like she was able to emote back in the day, um, where now. Like even like when I see her in these uh these early '90s comics here, I always picture her with like that really sterile animated series voice, mm-hmm. you know, where it's just like I can't even try to you know do an impression you of it. You must just... understand <laughs> that we are X Men. Yeah, but like yeah. to me, I think what it was is back in the day she had Kitty Pride that she would kind of like look after, and they it's would go sister. on adventures yeah. together and stuff like that, just in the real world. Yep. And I think it, she doesn't have that relationship with Jubilee or anything no. really. So so yeah, she's just like there, and she becomes yeah. more of the goddess than That's Aurora. It. Totally, totally, 100%. Um, now, Psylocke, he says, uh, Psylocke will be pl- fun to play with, and uh, let's keep <laughs> our minds out of the gutter. Uh, <laughs> uh, Colossus seems to have changed the least since he was last there, and that, that's fair, I guess. Uh, Colossus really, uh, outside of the Siege Perilous stuff, you know, really hasn't changed all that much. Um, now, Gambit, Burns sees him as a challenge because he doesn't like, have to use an, a Cajun accent. Okay. Um, I mean, you just instead of writing that, you write that. It's okay. I was going to say, he's used to all the apostrophes with Wolverine and whoever else, probably. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he only has a certain amount. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has to start paying after like the 15. I know, it's like, if Banshee's in this issue, we're oh. out. <laughs> we, we, it's done. Quote us bet. <laughs> Wolverine, he says that uh, he feels that him being on the same team as the Beast is kind of redundant. I, I don't quite get that. I, yeah, I there's no no comparison there. I mean, they both have the same hairstyle, but they that's do. it. They do. Yeah. <laughs> but so does like Matsu Tizaraba. And I mean, so many guys have that haircut. Uh, but it's funny here. He has no problem reminding us that Claremont wanted Wolverine off the team back in the day. He's like, oh, by the way, that guy you love so much, Claremont didn't like him. He was going to get rid of him. I stopped him, but he was going to do it. <laughs> It's so petulant, so so childish. Um, uh, Byrne does say that he wishes that he could be the like the steering force behind Wolverine, but he understands the realities of the world where Wolverine has not only his X-Men appearances, but his own title, his own serial in Marvel Comics Presents, and, quote, is in 27 other projects. So uh, he won't be able to really uh, be the main controlling uh, you know force behind Wolverine, unfortunately. Now, uh... Professor X, he intends to play him as somewhat aloof. Uh, he does say that he's happy that the professor is back in the wheelchair again. And, uh, of course, this was another bone of contention between he and Chris. Um, I guess Claremont wanted him walking around, to which Burns said, well, that, you know, he's he's already the most powerful guy, and now we're going to let him walk, too. So uh, <laughs> I guess he's happy that he got crippled again. I don't know. Um 
what, what are your thoughts on on the Professor X uh, in the chair or out of the chair? Well, I mean, I think he belongs in the chair, but at the Me same too. time, I've always imagined myself. I'm like, yeah, but he could work his power from across the world, wherever he needs to go. Like, I don't feel like they've ever shown like a meter, like a spawn meter. Like, oh, no, like he's losing <laughs> it. He can only use it for so long. So, like, I, why doesn't he always just fix everything? Sure. You know, like he, he is too powerful. So yep. I think you do have to send him into space to hang out with the Shi'ar for a while or whatever, just to get him out of the <laughs> mix because sure. it makes it uh difficult to, to explain why he's not just the x-man you know the original exactly. leave it at that exactly because like the in the original 66 it's like you lose count to how many issues end with him just mind wiping someone right it, it's <laughs> nuts it's like oh oh here's magneto wait boom okay <laughs> everything's fixed or or like uh the the people in the town find out that they're all mutants like oh, oh snap my fingers it's over you forgot it it's okay um now, uh, overall, for the blue and gold split, Byrne is not a fan of the teams that were chosen here. He says that if it were up to him, he would have had all the veteran X-Men and uncanny X-Men and all the new X-Men in X-Men Volume 2. Uh, he says that the intermingling between, you know, rookie and veteran isn't doing anybody any favors and uh, lets it slip here that he plans to basically turn the books into a single twice-monthly series. <laughs> Which Claremont, yeah, again, said, I absolutely did not want that, yes. so I won. And then John Byrne's like, well, that's what I want, though, so we'll probably get it done. <laughs> and the first story that he would like to do after the dust from this whole launch settles is another mutant massacre. Yeah, so he wants to basically kill everybody, or kill 85% is what he says here. He says, let's just knock off 85% of the mutants in the world, because there are far too many of them. Let's try to go back to square one. You have good mutants and bad mutants, and every once in a while a new mutant shows up, and you have to race to get that new mutant before the bad guys get there first. <laughs> uh, yeah. It seems like he was was he having lunch with Wanda? I mean, he and the Scarlet Witch <laughs> seemed to agree on that. I guess, yes, at least. they were all over that one, yes. Uh, yeah, Byrne never stood a chance, did he? No, no, no. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, such big, uh, you know, uh, big plans, you know, small vision, uh, grasp on reality. Not quite there. Because, I mean, like like you alluded to, you said it earlier. I mean, with when we were talking about Archangel, they've got action figures. They've got trading cards. Why are they going to kill off all their characters? I mean, and what would I mean, what is the 85 percent? What's the 15 percent that Byrne would let live? <laughs> the original uh, X-Men. That would if, be uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> That would, we'd get the originals, maybe we'd get Mimic, you know, or Changeling. But uh, it, it's just so nuts that after, you know, I mean, they just slashed and burned the creative team, and now we're going to slash and burn the, the roster inside the book? Uh, it just seems like uh, one of the... It, Another this is just another one of those reasons I love Wizard Magazine so much because you don't see this stuff online all the time. You know, uh, I think if you were to say, wouldn't it be cool if Burns stayed on Uncanny X-Men back in 1991? People without thinking would have been like, yeah, absolutely. It would have been better than what we got. I mean, it just sounds not. like, yeah, I mean, it's it's crisis on infinite earths in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's just like, mm -hmm. we got to eliminate it all. It's too confusing. Back to basics. Yeah, just like when he took the Hulk back to basics by having him get married. Because <laughs> that's the classic Hulk story. 
um, we do hear that this interview will continue in next month's issue. So uh, I haven't looked ahead to see if it actually is in there. But, it is. It is. <laughs> oh, it yes. is. Okay. Is there a note at the end that says John Byrne has decided to only part ways with Marvel again? <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yes. That's a that's a cliffhanger. Yes. Um, we do get a little like Wolverine, the man behind the claws, a uh, little uh, bio- biography uh, by Andrew S. Harris, which kind of reads like a high school essay. Kind of. I mean, like it's it's a little bit flowery and it, and it ends on like a note where it's like where it's kind of poignant that Wolverine is still a hero in the end at the end of the day. Uh, you have any thoughts on, on this piece here? Um, I, yeah, I will say like it, the fact that it is the very last thing in the book yes. instead of the first thing in the book like that, that was a little confusing and they do change that later issues. They're like, oh, yeah, that, that was not a good choice. But uh, <laughs> to me, what really stood out that I find, again, the value of these magazines is it just reminds you in a uh, you know pre-origin world mm-hmm. all the mystery that surrounded yes. Wolverine and how that was really the draw of the character. I mean, it's talking about you know Wolverine's blood and the saber tooth is in fact his father, but mm-hmm. there's also evidence that it's not true. <laughs> It's the stuff like that. So there's just a lot of things along the, you know, or even they get to do, there's even speculation that Logan may have been around far earlier than that, perhaps as far mm-hmm. back as the old West, thereby making it well over a hundred years old, you know? <laughs> so there, there's just all these things like maybe this, maybe that. And I think that was the excitement of Wolverine yeah. back in the day when they revealed so much about him. Yeah, okay. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's not so definite. Now everything contradicts itself and whatever else. So that's I think true. that that's a fun thing to go back and say at the very, very least he was a man of mystery absolutely so that, that was very fun yeah because uh, this very episode we just covered the uh, the first part of the shiva scenario which really shed some light on uh or, or maybe shed some murk on uh, wolverine's uh, <laughs> origins here where things are just very very weird and we're coming right out of uh, weapon x this is like the first time we see the like n- nods to the the weapon x story outside of marvel comics presents so it's kind of exciting and uh I remember a friend of mine who uh, we <laughs> in elementary school, we had a, a teacher who was kind of a hippie. And uh, every week, the kids, we would we would be able to choose what we would be called that week. We would choose like the, the name that we would be given, you know, and I, I was always Chris. I, I was never very creative, but I, I did have a friend named Dave who wanted to be called Logan. And uh, I didn't know what the X-Men were at the time. But uh, I found out that it was a reference to Wolverine, and uh, him and I had become friends uh, going into junior high school. And I remember telling him that Wolverine was uh, was maybe over 100 years old, and he got so mad. He got <laughs> so angry. He's like, no, that's not possible. No, no. I'm like, no, no, they're, they're saying it, man. It's like it's like he was around back in the day. I mean, they, you know, back in the 30s, turn of the century, he was he was here. No, no, absolutely not. And it was it was just funny how uh you could actually discuss stuff like that you know yeah. because because it you was you could so fill nebulous. in the gaps yourself yeah. and that made it more exciting yeah for sure for sure yeah because uh yeah Marvel when they lifted the skirt they lifted it a little too high and now we know <laughs> everything just like the just like you mentioned there with uh, Sabretooth being the father perhaps maybe. I remember thinking that was the coolest thing in the world. And then when you find out it wasn't, it's like, okay, maybe that's better that it isn't. Then it's, then you think, then you come back to maybe it is again. And then it's like, Oh, in a, in a different universe, he is and it, so many different things, but it was just, uh, it was so much fun to speculate. Uh, no matter, you know, 
even no matter what the character was, the speculation was just so much fun back then uh, Mm -hmm. where you could just, you didn't know what was what and uh, not everything was so, uh, there was no Wikipedia basically. Um, We do have a top 100, the, uh, the diamond, I I think it's diamond, but uh, it is a top 100 and uh, the uh, top, uh, the top six books uh, on the, uh, on this, actually the top five books are all discussed on the show and six of the top 10. Uh, Number one, Keeping its spot on the, on the top of the chart here is X-Men, uh, Volume 2, Number 2. Uh, number 2 is X-Force, Number 4. Number 3 is Spider-Man, Number 16, which we discussed before X-Force, Number 4. Uh, Uncanny X-Men 282 comes in at Number 4. X, X-Factor, Number 72, comes in at 5. And then rounding out the top 10 is Wolverine, Number 48, that first part of the Shiva scenario. Uh, from there, the rest of the books we discussed today rank at... Number 24 for Marvel Comics Presents, number 88. Number 26 for Marvel Comics Presents, number 89. 31 for Excalibur 44. 32 for Excalibur 43, which is kind of weird that the, uh, 44 sold more than 43. Um, and 77 is Alpha Flight, number 102, drops one slot. Last month they were number 76. So, And this month was a much better issue, so what are you going to do? But... Uh, I, I love looking at these top te- these top hundred lists because it's just so so different uh, than even I mean they're they're like a perfect time capsule of the early '90s here because there's like no DC to be found outside of like a big crossover events. It's just insane that uh, that Marvel had such control uh, with just one line of books basically. Uh, you have any thoughts on the uh, the top 100? Yeah, I mean, for me, I guess just what it comes down to, and I will just this is a, a little bit of a of a preview of many issues down the line, but I think their kids at the time just felt, you know, Marvel literally had the most interesting characters, and they had for a very long time. And I know sure. it it comes up in an interview with an actual kid eventually that they <laughs> print, and as I think that's just like. The, the power of that is just they were so diverse, they were so interesting and yeah, uh, DC just really didn't stand a chance no matter what they were doing, no matter when it comes to bloodlines or anything else. They're like, we're going to sure. create new characters and everybody's like, no. <laughs> you, get, you guys don't get it. You just don't get it. So yeah. It, it always seemed like growing up, uh, like I could buy a, a like a Fantastic Four comic where they're fighting Doctor Doom or I could by a Superman comic where he was fighting like a lizard, like a, a giant lizard man or something, just like yeah. a like a nondescript sort of villain. Um, and and it would always be Marvel for me uh, growing up. Uh, it wouldn't be till much later that that DC would sort of take the take the tide there. But uh, yeah, that was the uh, the top 100 here. We do have a very interesting coming attraction, um, which I really really love. Because it is just so confused. It's a very confused solicitation for X-Men number three. Now, it says X-Men number three by Jim Lee and Chris Claremont. Now, the story, the X-Men's trip to the Soviet Union hasn't exactly been a vacation. Why has a mystery from the X-Men's past become such a huge threat? How does Magneto fit in? Russia may be Colossus's hometown, but it's Wolverine who has all the answers about the X-Men's new deadly foe, Omega Red. John Byrne continues to write this story with the pizzazz that made the uncanny X-Men famous so many years ago. With Jim Lee's red-hot artwork, Marvel's main mutant comic continues to heat up the charts with huge sales. What? (laughs) This X-Men number three, um, (laughs) 
no, that doesn't happen there. <laughs> it's very, very strange here. Um, yeah, it's a little too early, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah that comes down the line because I, I, I just was kind of trying to catch up with the show here and read ahead a little. And I was just like, yeah, I don't recall any of that. I remember a tease for Omega Red like a few issues down the line. But, yeah. X-Men 2. Yeah, X-Men 2, there's the tease. And X-Men 4, he shows up. But, uh, I mean, they have Chris Claremont here as, as still uh, as the writer, but John Byrne is also the writer. Mm-hmm. Just so weird. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just I love that because it really just plays up just how nebulous everything is right now. Like like we like we said last month, it's you know Claremont gives an interview and he's gone by the time it's printed. Just just so much wonkiness, so many waves, uh, you know, in the waters at Marvel here, where we you know you just don't know. Um, there are other uh, other things here where we can tell that you know this nebulous thing doesn't just stick to that book here. Uh, Uncanny X-Men number 283, we have Ken Colossus cope with the stunning secrets that the X-Men uncover in the Soviet Union. Written by John Byrne, art by Lee and Protasio. So this almost makes me feel like they were doing the John Byrne plan of jumping from book to book, basically making it a, a twice-monthly serial. Because uh, we've got Colossus's, you know, hometown Russia in X-Men number three, but in 283 is Colossus is still dealing with the secrets that they uncover in the Soviet Union. It's a uh, very, very strange. Now, X-Men number three actually gets a second blurb in this article. Omega red may be the X-Men's biggest threat and only Wolverine knows what he really is written by burn art by Lee. So two X-Men number three solicitations and the next uncanny X-Men number 283 solicitations. This story doesn't appear in any of those books. Very, very weird stuff. Now, there are other X titles here getting a little bit of shine, and that is uh, Wolverine number 49. And uh, that one says here, why is Sabretooth involved in Logan's past? Could it be that Wolverine's origins are a lie? I love that they have origins as plural. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What if number 32, what if Phoenix had not died? X-Factor number 73, riots ravage Washington, D.C. with X-Factor caught in the middle. X-Force number 5, the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Toad, Sauron, and the Blob are out for blood. And Marvel Comics Presents number 90 starts a six-part Cable and Ghost Rider story and continues the Wolverine and Beast stories. All of those will be discussed here next month. So, and I gotta uh, say, Chris, one thing for me, when I saw the What If Phoenix Had Not Died, I love my What <laughs> If books and so i was digging through my my long box here and i was like yeah i have that book and i was like no 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 i have what if phoenix rose again and then i looked <laughs> at that and i was like she did rise again why is that, that a was what the if whole book? point yeah <laughs> oh that's wild but uh yes uh, we, we are actually gonna have uh, an extra segment next time for what if number 32 we're gonna have a uh, an extra segment for another uh, Wolverine Ghost Rider Punisher prestige format, too. So the uh, the 10-hour show will be even longer. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I did look into the, the wizard's hat and the uh, crystal ball, and uh, uh, th- there might be episodes that are like 18, 19 hours long if, if, if I don't know what I'm doing here. But uh, the X-Books get big, folks. They spread. They spread, and they have annuals, and those annuals are long, and they are mostly bad. But... Uh, they are huge. Um, now, the Wizard Hot book for the month, uh, they, they have a couple of like books basically where, where they're telling you these are the books to speculate on. Um, 
you know, this is a first appearance or the first uh, time a creator worked on a certain book. Uh, the one that's X-related here is Uncanny X-Men number 193. It is the 100-issue anniversary of the new or the giant-sized team. Also, it's the first appearance of Warpath and the first comic book appearance of Firestar. And uh, both of those characters are featured in some pretty high-profile books at this point, uh, X-Force and New Warriors, respectively. Uh, you have any uh, You have any feelings about uh, New Warriors? Uh, were you a fan of that book back in the day? I never. I de- Ever jumped on the new Warriors trade? Like I said, I really didn't pay attention to them until mm-hmm. Civil War. I was like, oh, okay. they're troublemakers. Where they were destroyed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I, I kind of went in and out uh, of uh, the new Warriors. I think the first time I actually gave them a try was probably when they did a crossover with X-Force, uh, which we'll, we will cover here in, in a very long time. But uh I think the first time I actually tried to like collect New Warriors in earnest was when uh, Ben Riley was on their team, because uh, I just thought it was interesting that Spider-Man was part of their team. But uh, yeah, other than that, I have the whole run. Uh, it's it was okay. <laughs> it's, <you know. laughs> I, mean, I, I think I got excited for a moment when Darkhawk was making regular guest appearances because he he basically <laughs> became a member of the team, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, and then it always just cracked me up. Uh, Turbo is the gal with the fans, right? <laughs> that that Carrie her is that her name? Who's I think this, so. Yeah. Yes. yes. That was just that was just a costume design that always cracked me up. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have a uh, sweepstakes. Well, not not the show, but the book. The book has a sweepstakes where you could win a Rob Liefeld autographed New Mutants number eighty-seven. One lucky winner will get that. Uh, two first prize winners receive all three printings of New Mutants number 100. This is back when they had to do second and third printings when books actually sold out. You know, not just uh, so they have them sitting on the shelf next to each other like they do today. Uh, five second prize winners will get the official Wizard T-shirt. And uh, it's it's the Ghost Rider cover from Wizard number two. And uh, there's a picture of this T-shirt on page 117 of this magazine, it will also be at 90sxmen.com when the show drops. Um, and it's a it's a t-shirt, all right. Uh, how would you how would you feel about wearing this t-shirt? <laughs> well, uh, don't eat any spaghetti while you're wearing this t-shirt because it's mostly white. <laughs> it's true. It's it's like a, it's a Hanes t-shirt with you know the the picture of Ghost Rider screen printed on it. It's really just a it, it's a sight. It's a site. Uh, what what uh, I find hilarious about that ad, though, is it basically says, look for shirts by some future artists, including Ron Lim, Joe Jusco, and Bart Sears. So it's like they're trying to say, like, these ones, maybe you don't like them so much, but there's <laughs> some awesome shirts coming. Yeah, just keep your eyes peeled because they yeah. are. Coming. Yeah, because even the Eric Larson one has it. Um, the only one that looks, you know, halfway decent is that, the you know, the Spider-Man and the wizard costume from the first issue. Uh, but still, it's it's just a white T-shirt with with the one figure on it. It uh, yeah, it, it looks like something you'd get done like in a kiosk in the mall or something. Exactly, it's, yeah. Which might actually be with what Garib Seamus did. Who knows? <laughs> um, he's got a he's got a screen printer in his parents' basement or something. I don't know. But uh, in order to be entered into this contest, you'll need to answer the following questions. Uh, I, I I don't know if you're up for some comics trivia. Um, I went through these questions. I think there was only one I, I wasn't fully aware of. Uh, you know, who gave Hal Jordan his power ring? Abed Sur. Yes, yes. What's Jennifer Walt's super alter ego? 
I have to turn in my She-Hulk mm-hmm. uh, fan club membership card if I didn't know that. <laughs> Who is DC Comics Adam? Ooh. And this is the Silver Age Adam. Yeah, okay. So Ray Palmer. Yes. Now, this one I wasn't totally sure of. Who created the Infinity Gauntlet? Yes, and we had to do some research on this, too, because if you've seen the <laughs> movies, the movies tell a different story, and it's quite epic, and it involves, you know, Asgardians. But no, it was Thanos. He What's just that? did it himself. Okay, because I counted the letters, because this is one of those things where it's kind of like a jumble. You have like the uh, you have a little grid where you fill in the letters here, and it, I, I knew Thanos fit, but I wasn't totally sure it was him. Uh, who is Ralph Dibney? Ooh, the elongated man. And who is Scarlet Witch's brother? Yes. I feel like that's something that never changed in any continuity. It was it's always right. like, yeah, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver. Like, you yes. know, maybe their dad. You don't know who their dad is, but they're <laughs> yes. always brother and sister, even in the Ultimate Universe. And True. The less yeah. said about that, the better. <laughs> yes. Now, they, 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 are they mutants? Are they inhumans? Are they miracles? We don't know. But they are related. We do know that. Um, now, last month we went through the price guide for some notables, and uh, we did the same thing this time just to see if anything went up, and some things actually do. Um, starting with Excalibur number one, that one holds steady at $9. But issues 2 through 15 are all going up in value uh, due to Alan Davis's return to the title in you know contemporary times here. Um, New Mutants, issue number 85, the first Rob Liefeld is still $5.50. Number 87, the first appearance of Cable went up $1 to $41. Okay. Um, issue 98, the first appearance of Deadpool is still $650. And 100, the first X-Force is still $450. The second print is still $550. Um, Uncanny X-Men, number 244, the first appearance of Jubilee is still $2.75. 266, the first appearance of Gambit was bumped up a quarter to four dollars and 25 cents so i guess being last month's wizard hot book had its benefits <laughs> um now uh issue 248 the first jim lee is still 10 bucks issue 268 featuring captain america and black widow went up a quarter to six dollars 281 okay so the book we discussed last month uncanny x-men 281 the first new look issue you know the first you know uh, whatever they were calling this thing here uh the first gold team that one is now worth $3.25, which is a 325% jump in one month. That is wild, yeah. I mean, it just tells you, because that's a that was Will Sportacio on that one, yes. right? So it just shows you how big a deal he really was. They were <laughs> amping him up, you know, and hyping him to everybody. It's like, okay. He's the guy, yeah. And it's, it's just, it, is it any wonder that, that people were speculating on this stuff? I mean, a 325% return on your investment in one month imagine if you bought a thousand of them because <laughs> there were there were many 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 of these printed you could very easily have bought a thousand of these and uh then traded them back in for what 32 grand i mean that's not bad um now wolverine no movement on the wolverine titles here we have a uh, issue 41 featuring sabertooth and cable still five bucks 42 sabertooth cable still four bucks but the book we discussed last month, issue 47, which was the first appearance of Tracy Kims, I think it was also his last appearance, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> that one went up 50 cents, $2.25, up from a buck 75. So uh, 
I don't know what it was about Tracy Kins. Uh, I'm not sure if you if you made it that far into the episode. What did you oh, think yeah. of Tracy Kins if you if you did? Bad behavior sells apparently. <laughs> Delinquency is uh, yeah. is is what is what is uh, making all the money here. Um, now X- issue sixty three, the first uh, Will's Potasio, still eleven bucks. Now. Issue number 68, where baby Nathan is sent into the future, is $2.50. So, uh, you know, a pretty decent uh, return on your investment there if you pay the dollar for it. Um, now, issue number 71, the first appearance of the all-new, all-different X-Factor, is $1.25. So that went up one quarter in a month. So not quite the uh, giant uh, uncanny jump, but, you know, you made a quarter. Uh, if you can find anyone who uh, who would like to buy it for $1.25, you are uh, luckier than most, I'd assume. Um, X-Force, uh, if you recall, X-Force number one is listed 11 times. There's 11 variants uh, based on the included card, the color of the UPC, all that stuff. None of them went up in value. Still, the most valuable one is the cable card with a white UPC logo, logo lo- label. That's the word. Uh, $4.50. Uh, Sunspot and, and freaking Gideon is still two and a quarter. Uh, <laughs> X-Men volume two, number one, all versions, still cover price. Uh, for good measure, the the big books here, Giant Size X-Men number one is still 155 X-Men number one from 1963 is still $1,800. Incredible Hulk 181 is still 265 And Avengers Annual number 10 is still 6 bucks. So, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Seeing, going back to that uncanny jump there, it, it's this informed so much of, uh, like, the, the excitement back then. Um it didn't matter if you were a kid or a grown-up. If you saw that something you owned might have some sort of perceived value to it, it was like the coolest thing in the world. And this became – not that I ever had designs on selling anything. It just always became sort of like the like the blue-chip stock thing where you, I just wanted to have something that was valuable. Uh, did you get swept up in that as well? Uh, I really didn't, uh, I, like I bought a few key issues mm-hmm. that, you know, people were pointing out and hyping up, but I only ever did it because I wanted to be in the club, sure. you know, like I never really expected to ever find a way to sell them or, you know, that, that the value mattered much. So yeah, mm-hmm. really for me, it was always just about the stories. And do I like this story? I mean, I was buying like, you know, resurrection man and stuff, you know, sure. so obviously I'm not interested in, yeah, in that, books no. that are going to go up in value. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny you mentioned uh that that fellow with the uh with the wolverine uh you know a uh, twitter feed where he is naming these like these moments and uh this is where you learned this this is the first time he did that me and my friends would uh we would like comb through the x-men books and uh, i remember a buddy of mine called me it was during the executioner song he called me during dinner and uh i remember my mom was really ticked off <laughs> Because I was getting a phone call at dinner, and he's like, he's like, dude, turn to turn to this page, turn to this page right now, right now. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I go and I get the book that we had just bought that day, and it has Cyclops, uh, like Strife has has Cyclops and Jean Grey like captured because he thinks they're there. You know, we won't we won't spoil things, but uh, there's a scene where Cyclops has his visor off, and uh, he's like, that's got to be the first time Cyclops was seen without his visor on, and I'm like really I'm like okay cool he's like this is gonna go up in value because this is the first time you see his red <laughs> eyes and, and, and that's how sick it got and that's yeah. that's one of the things that you know the price guides and 
the uh, you know all the magazines that they were all pushing this sort of thing here. I mean, I have a I have a bunch of magazines in my collection called like the Vantage. Oh boy, what are they called? It's it, it's a company called Vantage, and it's like the Comics Investment Guide. And it was a regular monthly magazine where it would tell you what books to buy. It was basically like all that that app that the annoying people have on their phones right now. <laughs> it, but just back then, like, and it would tell you it's like, well, don't you know, don't buy this issue of Gen 13. Wait till next month. Next month is the one you're gonna want to buy because that's the one that's gonna go up in value. It's like, how the hell do you know that? But uh, it was just in the air back then. It was just uh, <laughs> so funny that. That, that these price guides were just informed so much of what so many people bought and how so many people enjoyed comics or at least received comics in a way mm-hmm. where, I mean, you could read the story or you could peel through every single page to see if you could find the first appearance of Cyclops's eyes or, uh, or, uh, or I think, I think they put Bishop's real name in this issue. I think they did. I'm going to find it. It's like, well, go ahead, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's going to go up in value because this is the first appearance of Bishop's real name. It's so silly. But, uh, yeah, that is the uh, price guide. And uh, I'm sure I'll probably repeat these stories many, many times down the line. But uh, now there's something in this book that I'd never seen before, and I was wondering if you'd seen it. It's uh, an, a collection of X-Force trading cards from a Comics Images Incorporated. It's a 90-card uh, set. I have never seen nor heard of this set. Have you? No, I've never come across those. I just have to imagine just the distribution by Comics Images Incorporated <laughs> just was very low. Maybe they were literally driving it to each comic book they store. Might. Yeah, because it's just like it seems and, – and who knows? I mean, I, it doesn't seem likely, but it was Rob Liefeld himself actually like – doing the deal somehow because it, it like marvel was working with impel already at yeah. this point so why would they authorize this outside deal because it's the same there's the todd mcfarland set as well right below it. yeah yeah and I, I haven't come across those either i've seen like the spider-man set that features mm-hmm. mostly todd mcfarland art but still yeah it's it's very strange it is in and i i just love some of the names of these cards here like card number 57 is dead um card number 69 is so question mark um yeah 50 mutate um 37 is whoa (laughs) 52 is what to do yeah 28 snap it is nuts it's like i i need to find these i (laughs) definitely need to find these here but uh yeah. Speaking of the trading cards, mm. I wanted to mention, I, I sure. was looking through just like the regular price guide, you know, for Marvel Universe Series 1, Marvel Universe Series 2 actually uh, had just come out as well. And what's interesting is, you know, speaking of X-Men, of course, all the X-Men cards are worth the most. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, everything else is 10 cents or 20 cents, but you jump to any character that's X-Men and it's 50 cents or, mm-hmm. you know, Wolverine in his original costume, one dollar, you know? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, the only character that, like, matched that was Venom, you know? So if there was a Venom yeah. card, that was worth just as much as not. a Wolverine card, yeah. yeah. But otherwise, everybody else is just, like, low-key, you know, you mm-hmm. spend the dime, but <laughs> the X-Men, get your cash. Now back back then, I mean, trading cards were were huge. Did you did you ever buy singles? Like, did you go somewhere where they had like the box of commons, the the single boxes? Do you have any memories of that? 
I I never went that far because for me it was all about the chance factor. <laughs> you know, it was, I wish wishing I was long shot and could <laughs> make all the holograms appear in that pack of cards. You know, so so I I rarely did that, but I always remember yes yeah, seeing them and seeing the case you know filled with holograms and everything yeah. else. So like yeah, I was very much tuned into it, but I never wanted to cheat. To me, it was cheating. I was like, mm. I gotta earn this on my own. I gotta buy a hundred <laughs> packs and then I'll get a full. <laughs> set you know <laughs> i would uh i would probably collect until i had like three quarters of it and then i would uh i would start doing the singles and uh i remember finding a like a treasure trove of uh of marvel universe series two and this was when three was out so like me and my friends never even saw two but i found like this whole collection of them and they were all 10 cents each and i think i had like two dollars so i was able to get like 20 of them and uh I remember taking them to school and showing my friends and they're like, oh, where'd you get those? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, uh, me and my family went into the city over the weekend, even though it was like right down the block from the house. Like, I can't don't, reveal I don't... your secrets. Oh, no, no. They can't find out where I got them. Then they'll get them. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love that stuff. And uh, I, I, that's not something that I see in the comic shops anymore. The uh, the cards, um, even just like the full just the regular packs or the boxes. I think that's like a special order thing now almost. Where you have to like tell the retailer, it's like, oh, I want a box of them or something. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's one of those niceties of the 90s, the 90s, nicesies, if we can <laughs> mer- morph that word into one. But uh, yeah, that is, uh, I think that is just about everything X from this issue of Wizard, uh, unless I missed something, which uh, I very well might have. I, I did go through it a few times. But uh, is there anything you'd like to uh, discuss about this issue before we send it to uh, something else? The only thing I'll mention is taking it back to the beginning. So what Wizard normally would do is that the poster that was in the issue matched the cover. And so it if you doesn't. like the cover, you could yeah. get it. Yeah, this one, for some reason, they chose an alternate unused cover of Ghost Rider. And so they have Ghost Rider wearing the wizard hat. And he's like, mm-hmm. you know, he just he looks ridiculous. It looks geeky. Yeah. Yeah. And they put that in here. That is a total miscalculation. You have the most popular character in Marvel on your cover and you're not going to give people the poster like that was terrible i actually checked with eric larson on twitter because i asked him about it he, and he was also very clear he's like look i did not submit anything to them they commissioned the drawing from me you know i i didn't need wizard at the time is basically oh, he what he, he said sure yeah. yeah and so he's, but he's like yeah so he's like that was a that was a, a pretty good cover but yeah that was definitely just them asking essentially for a favor and paying the fee you know so <laughs> that's wild yeah yeah because i mean this is only the third issue of wizard this is way before they have any kind of real sway yeah. uh, or pull so it's uh that's 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 pretty interesting um, now, before I do let you go here, uh, there's a, a little thing we're running all the hosts through this month, and uh, we're calling it the pod file. It's basically a take on the uh, old Marvel bullpen bulletins uh, question and answer deal here that the, they would put the staffers and editorial through. And uh, it's a bunch of very silly, very dumb questions. But, uh, hey, it sounds like it might be fun. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to beg your indulgence and ask you these uh, very, very important questions if uh, if you are ready. As long as I get a caricature. <laughs> of me to put next to all the answers uh, we we gotta find a caricaturist is, yeah. that, is that a word caricaturist? eric the illustrator on twitter he's a very devoted follower of my podcast and uh, he is a, a professional caricaturist he works in amusement wow. parks so i'll have to commission that for oh, him that's awesome that is awesome now uh first question we got here is uh 
basically plugs. Gig, where, where does your work appear? Uh, you can currently find uh, my podcast work on the Retro Network channel uh, you know, at all the standard places. That's Wizards, the Podcast Guide to Comics, and Sequel Quest appearing weekly and bi-weekly. Uh, I'm also the writer star of rd's retro detention the youtube series on the retro days youtube page and hey i'm a film reviewer for popgeeks.net if you ever want to find out what indie films are out there there you go now uh is there any content that maybe you used to do that you don't do anymore or maybe you used to do and you just don't do so much anymore that you'd like to show, share with yeah us? so um i was the featured writer at retrodays.org for about five years just mm-hmm. articles just written kind of blog posts and we just decided to move beyond that to youtube so that my production there has slowed down but i have many 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 articles there on old toys including comics and action figures and everything else i got a whole section about like my full collection of black costume and venom action figures just kind of taking you through from the beginning so you can find it under hoju coolander on retrodays.org excellent excellent now uh what are your hobbies (laughs) well (laughs) the truth is my Content creation schedule is pretty busy, and most of it focuses on what my hobbies are. Uh, but when I have time, I love to write and record music. You know, I had really? a band in high school, and uh, you know, I was the one who was always pushing. We gotta make a original songs guys we got to do it so i usually find a way to incorporate that into my podcasts and other projects so i apologize for how much singing my listeners have to endure (laughs) Uh, but uh i'm also a big thrift store shopper outside of that so very cool very cool now out of all the uh content that you have created for this internet uh, is there anything that might stand out as being something that you are like very proud of the most proud of well, I mean, obviously, like, you know, I'm thrilled uh, Retro Detention's been very popular in Wizards over this last year as they launched, but Sequel Quest as a podcast is my passion project in mm-hmm. that I basically get to write a dream movie every month. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some like the ones I'm most proud of as far as my favorite pitches, I did a prequel to the 1994 The Shadow film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a third Tim Burton Batman film featuring a Christopher Reeve Superman team-up story. I thought it was pretty good and uh, a transformers reboot with no humans you know no shia labeouf just (laughs) cybertronians you know and it told an origin of optimus prime as i wanted to see it so those are some episodes to check out yeah nice nice now uh do you have any pet peeves uh yes uh really for me it's it's basically just negative people like people whose life seems to focus around either complaining or just being the victim that's their mm-hmm. whole identity i can't handle it like just like no whiners <laughs> please i just can't be around you yeah <laughs> no where were you born uh born and raised in irvine california that's a uh... Southern California? Yeah, Southern California. So, yeah, just kind of uh, close to Disneyland there, about 15 minutes from Disneyland. Very cool, very cool. Now, what would you say is your greatest achievement outside of creating content for the Internet? 
Well, you know, obligatory eight years of marriage and caring for three kids, despite my own immaturity. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, But I will say my creative output is how I've always measured my success. So when I was 17, Mm -hmm. I got tapped to write and star in a short film for this like community film festival. But growing up in Southern California, you have you know, movie industry professionals in your neighborhood is kind of how that works. And it went well. So a few years later, the director I worked with asked me to expand the concept into three screenplays and they were lining up financing. I was set to star and they liked how it was all going. It, it never got produced due to various personal circumstances of me being an irresponsible young adult. (laughs) Not quite ready. Yeah. So, so even though it didn't, come to fruition i was always very proud that my creative output was deemed valuable enough to put that much money behind in theory out yeah that's awesome wow that's why these silly questions are so great people (laughs) you are learning things every time out um now uh what would you say is your oddest habit i have always sung to myself not Mm -hmm. quite under my breath and people in my life have just had to learn to deal with it. I'm talking like <laughs> all throughout school during class. I'm singing to myself, <laughs> coworkers, my family, like everybody is just like, Adam's just singing again. Okay, we're not going to change it. <laughs> and my mom always said that it was a sign that I was happy. But honestly, sure. like my brain is just like an iPod with a playlist. It's got hundreds of songs on shuffle. And if I can't literally hear them, I'm going to perform them so I can hear them is basically how it works. So yeah, <laughs> <That> works. <laughs> odd or annoying habit, depending on who you are. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Now, jumping back like to the question we had a little bit ago here, if there was a movie made about your life, who would play you? Yeah, so it's weird. <laughs> I, I've been told at different points in my life that I look like Cameron Alan Ruck from Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Adam okay. Sandler. And I'm like, neither of those things are true. So, <laughs> and, and I don't know that I fit with them. So probably somebody like uh, there was an actor on Mad TV back in the day. I believe his name was Michael McDonald. He, he played Stuart. It'd be like, no, I like to do that. He was like this giant, lanky, goofy man playing a little boy. And I was not talking about the Steely Dan. uh, No, not not that one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The other Michael McDonald. And so for me, like, I always felt like he's just like a big, tall, goofy dude with a long face. That's me. You know, so probably (laughs) end up being him. (laughs) There you go. Now, uh, why comics? Why, why, why do you pick comics to talk about or write about yeah. and all that good stuff? Well, so my mom is an artist and I grew up with paintings and sketches in my house all the time. So illustration was a very familiar medium to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you ask like, why have I stuck with it as this preferred form of entertainment? You know, for me, it's the storytelling possibilities. The fact that they are not limited by a movie or theatrical budget, you know, sure. Only the imagination. So even a character also who's been around for like 50 years can be reinterpreted by a new writer or artist. And then mm. they're new all over again. Sure. Like, and ultimately for me, the stuff that didn't work is more fascinating than the stuff that did. So <laughs> I, that's why the 50 cent bins are so fun to dig through. Absolutely. You know, you're going to find this like, what? Huh? And it just <laughs> makes it so much more interesting. So for sure, for sure. Uh, now, 
What do people in high school think about you? Other than the, the singing, of course. Okay, so in high school, people thought I was going to be the new fat guy on Saturday Night Live after graduation. <laughs> that's what I was. I was a big fat comedian in the drama department for the first three years of high school. And uh, Will Ferrell actually went to my high school in the 80s. Oh, wow. um, so so it was not unheard of. And actually, one of my f- drama friends who I did shows with for years became a cast member on Saturday Night Live for several seasons after we wow. graduated. Her wow. name is Nassim Pedrad. Um, and she she was later on New Girl. She was on John Mulaney's very uh, short-lived sitcom. But anyway, so but she's she's great. And so it was like, you know, that was kind of the ambition that, that the two of us had. And but by senior year, I slimmed down. I got a girlfriend. I became homecoming king, which was bizarre. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I peaked in high school. I'll just say that. And I decided <laughs> <laughs> to use my performing talents in mundane workplaces for the next 20 years just to spice up the office. Sure. And so I was like, that's where I would write skits. And OK, we're having a company party. Adam's going to do a skit. Adam's going to do a funny song, you know, whatever it was going to be. <laughs> that was just what I became known for. So very cool. Very cool. Now, who would you say are some of your favorite performers? Uh, well, so I love the lead singer of the Misfits from the 90s, Michael Graves. Uh, yeah. Everybody knows Glenn Danzig, but Graves is my guy. Because I, <laughs> I saw the band live many times in the 90s, and his stage presence to me was just otherworldly. So his output since leaving the band is hit or miss, but when it hits, it's like right to my soul. I just, he's so weird and cool. I like him. Um, my favorite band altogether is the Smoking Popes. Uh, they're kind of a pop punk act out of Chicago. <laughs> they're a bunch of brothers. I love them. Uh, they could do no wrong. So, and then as far as actors, like of like the recent generation, like Alison Brie to me is so versatile, and everything I see her in is just fantastic. And I'm just hoping she ends up playing Jennifer Walters in a She-Hulk series. I mean, <laughs> I was kind of going around as a possibility, you know, a couple months ago. So I was like, let it be, let it be. <laughs> now here's a question we have some fun with on the on moratory mondays here when the editors and staffers try to tell us this very pretentious hoi polloi book that they are reading or have read here uh we don't buy it any time out but uh how about you tell us the last good book you did or didn't read yeah so for me it's a book called the union of the state Now, that is going to sound like it's historical or something else. It is not. It is an oral history of the MTV sketch comedy group from the 90s. And like I said, sketch comedy was my life growing up. And so I loved their show so much. And this is just, yeah, getting into every detail. The best piece of information, the little trivia you get out of it, is that Michael Ian Black and Ben Garant played the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, two of them at least, mm-hmm. uh, during their coming out of their Shells tour in 1990 when they were rock and roll stars oh, going wow. on stage. And yeah. they were going to the radio stations and being interviewed as if they were Michelangelo, as if they were Raphael. And oh, it is boy. fascinating. It actually created like this little schism in the group that rest of the state was upset with them because they're doing outside <laughs> projects. <laughs> so it's, it's a fascinating fascinating story but i love that book so much oh yeah i haven't thought of the state in forever wow 
Yeah, that was that was a good show uh, back then. I remember that that was like a like a weird sort of like golden age of uh, of sketch comedy. Like there was like Exit Fifty Seven was one. Um, the Jenny McCarthy show. Anybody <laughs> 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 remembers that? <laughs> wow, wild stuff. Um, now, well, what was the last good movie you saw? All right, so I, yeah, I mentioned popgeeks.net and doing my reviews over there. So I get these movies that I'm just not expecting to review. <laughs> And this is one that actually in the last few months has gotten a lot of uh, attention, at least on Twitter. But The Velocipaster. Have you heard about this movie, Chris? I have not. (laughs) Okay, so it is basically the story of a Catholic priest in training who gets attacked by a were velociraptor in the woods one night. And then whenever he gets angry, he hulks out and becomes a velociraptor. Oh, boy. And it is the most ridiculous film, and they only show him in shadow until the end, the the big fight scene where he, he fights like kung fu style oh, villains, boy. and <laughs> it is just it it is basically like a a seventies exploitation film ripoff, but mm-hmm. it is it is just hilarious, like it is so dumb, <laughs> and you just watch <laughs> it like makes me laugh out loud, and so that was a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. That's great. Now, uh, what would you say is uh, your biggest influence on creating content for the Internet? All right. So I was thinking, I was like, is there somebody like a person or a site or whatever? But honestly, for me, it's unfulfilled creative goals that have not been realized (laughs) on a grand scale that cause me to do things on my own terms on Mm -hmm. a smaller but still enjoyable scale so it's like you know i've you know i have all these grand ambitions maybe like john byrne Um, (laughs) and so i'm like i gotta i just have to create it's what i do so it just makes me find new avenues for that and who wants to be a part of it you know very cool very cool now, uh, speaking of unfulfilled ambitions, what would you say is your greatest unfulfilled ambition in creating uh, content for this? Yeah, still would love to have at least one screenplay produced, even if it's direct to video, you know, because that, that, that's the one that got away. Right. That's my white sure. whale now. Sure. And I've, you know, I've written, starred and produced my own series of films, you know, but I would love the validation of someone else saying, yep. I want to invest in getting this story told, you know, <laughs> even if it were adapted to a graphic novel format, I'd be happy. So very cool. Very cool. Now, what would you say is the worst part of creating content for the Internet? Uh, just uh, time management. You know, I, I, I have <laughs> weekly, biweekly, monthly schedules to keep for paid gigs, you know, that I love doing. And to me, like the pressure does breed creativity in the limited time I have. I have to be extra creative and getting stuff done. But, you know, balancing all that with family commitments, you know, that's sure. it's just rough. And so plus, I'm kind of obsessive when it comes to editing my podcast. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm grateful on Retro Detention. I have a producing partner who does all the editing. So I just have to write and record. So that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, so for me, it's just like, ah, you know, I have so much I want to do. I got a desktop full of, you know, OK, I'm going to do this i'm gonna do this you know like years later and it's just not had not had time to get into that passion project you know sure 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 now uh when nobody's looking what do you do i'm probably in the bathroom that that is my sanctum sanctorum <laughs> I, we actually have an intercom set up in my house just so my family could communicate with me where's dad he's in the bathroom so it's just <laughs> i can just be alone there's peace there you go. <laughs> My Al Bundy moment. Yes. Now, uh, 
we've learned a whole lot about you over the past couple months here, but is there anything we uh, we haven't talked about that you think the people ought to know about you? My mom thinks I'm cool. Yeah, that's, that's my snarky Marvel staffer response. <laughs> is that what you're going with? That's what I'm going with. Okay, fair enough. But uh, yeah, that is the entirety of the pod file. And uh, if you're still listening, thank you so, 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 so much. But uh, I will let uh, Adam get on with his life at this point and let him go after thanking him for hanging out with me and discussing this issue of Wizard. And uh, from this point, uh, we will jump right into the outro. Do I have to pay to-